From reviews to rankings, the big picture is all things movies. From in-depth analysis of the latest flick to sit-down interviews with some of the biggest movie stars and filmmakers on the planet, Sean Fennessy and Amanda Dobbins have got you covered. Check out The Big Picture on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type, Easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. baby. Welcome in. It is a Wednesday edition, loaded, loaded Wednesday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. John Jastrzemski, live from Yankee Stadium, little extra giddy, and here's the million dollar question to kick off today's podcast. How is Bill from Los Angeles doing today? Billy boy, how you feeling? How is vacation? You enjoying that Marcus Smart extension? I want to know. I think New York, New York wants to know. Is this still the most enjoyable season that you've experienced in two decades with the Boston Red Sox? Let me tell you something. I enjoyed every minute of this day-night doubleheader sweep, and I feel like I was owed. And the Yankee fan, in many ways, they feel like they were owed. Thinking about some of the bad losses, thinking about some of the meltdowns that this team has gone through over the course of this year. The Yankees put together two very impressive and two spectacular victories here on Tuesday night. And I was thankful to be in the building for both of them. Game one was a heart attack waiting to happen. But you saw in game one, and we detailed this in our Spotify green room earlier in the day, the difference in the Yankee lineup with lefty bats in there. Because it was shaping up to be a bad loss for the Yankees. They had the early 2-0 lead. Velasquez gets the big hit. Montgomery up 0-2 in the count. Pitching is Xander Bogarts. I don't know why he didn't bury a pitch. I don't know why you would throw him a pitch anywhere near the strike zone. And there were a lot of people wondering, should Gary Sanchez have made the tag on the tying run? I, for one, had no problem with it. I don't think they were getting him anyway, and you had a chance to get out of the inning so you don't have to deal with Rafael Devers with a man on base. They, they have no problem with that decision from Gary Sanchez. But then when Vasquez hits the homer, and the Yankees missed on a couple of opportunities just saying, oh, geez, 
Are the Red Sox in the heads of the Yankees? That all changed in the bottom half of the fifth inning. And Cora, listen, I love Alex Cora. I think he's one of the premier and one of the best managers in all of Major League Baseball. Cora did not have a great fifth inning. How? I don't know how you take him out with the way he was throwing. Then they go to Whitlock, who's been pitching amazing for Boston all year. Walks a couple of guys and they're yanking him out. Why? Because Cora is reacting to what he saw from Joey Gallo just the night ago. And that's the difference. And that is why, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I have been screaming about the fact that the Yankees need lefty bats because you're going to attack and you're going to pitch to and you're going to handle a lineup so much differently when there's balance. Cora goes to the lefty. He walks Joey Gallo. Voight puts the ball in play. I know the fan club's probably all over me tonight. He had a big night. Give him credit. Stanton comes off the bench. 3-0. Boone turns him loose. Stanton ropes a single. That inning maybe doesn't happen if you don't have the power threat and the presence of a guy like Gallo in the lineup. So the Yankees put together some really good at-bats, but in that seventh inning, Jonathan Loisaga made you sweat. And when there are bases loaded, nobody out. And the Yankees are clinging to a two-run lead. You do not expect the Yankees, with the way their bullpen has kind of played out all year, and the way they've yucked up leads, especially to the Red Sox, all year, you didn't think Lasagna was going to get out of it. Ballsy. Money. Money pitching from the Yankees' best reliever in 2021. I love the fire after the strikeout to Hernandez. And then the Renfro. That's a game the Yankees don't win six weeks ago. It is a game the Yankees are winning right now. In a nightcap, how about Luis Hill? Luis Hill, on a night where he was a little all over the place, still is throwing a shutout against the Boston Red Sox going into the fifth inning. And this is where we got to give Aaron Boone credit because I have been a major detractor of this manager. I think anybody who listens to this podcast, you know the deal. I was very down on Aaron Boone. I give him credit for not only the team staying together, but think about some of the moves that were made over the course of this game. Going to Stanton off the bench. You saw that in game one. Then you think about game two. Keel loads the bases. Devers comes up. He goes to Wandy Peralta. Peralta gets the Yankee killer in Devers. And how about the play that Wandy Peralta made in the top half of the sixth inning, making the deflection and then throwing a missile across the diamond of first base to wiggle his way out of that jam. Anybody still hating on the Wandy Peralta for Mike Talkman trade? I took a lot of voicemails on that going back to April and May. Any haters on that trade right about now? I don't think so. And just consider this for a second. The New York Yankees, when we were up in Boston, Massachusetts, about a month ago, the Yankees were basically eight or nine games back of the Red Sox. And they had lost two soul-crushing type of games. It is now August the 18th. And in the American League wildcard standings, the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox are dead freaking even. Dead even. The Yankees and the Red Sox. 567 and a 566 winning percentage. Oh, that is the thing of beauty. And it speaks to 
how well the Yankees have been playing right before the All-Star break, into the All-Star break and beyond. It's been a totally different team. Guys are stepping up. The Yankees are making the big play when they need to. They're getting the big hit when they need to. They're playing a fun brand of baseball. They did exactly what they needed to do over the course of this series. Now you get greedy and you hope that Andrew Heaney can get you a sweep and that Boston is walking with the tail between their legs. You flip the Red Sox and the Yankees from a month ago. The Yankees were the Red Sox. The Red Sox were the Yankees. It's crazy. It's absolute insanity we were at this point. Yankees are 16 games over the 500 mark. And the Cavalry's coming back. Rizzo's on the way back. Sanchez is back. Urshela, hopefully, within the next couple weeks. Chapman on the way back. This team is now in prime position to make the postseason. And I am fully back. In case anybody is wondering, in case you need a little bit of a refresher, John Jastrzemski is back when it comes to the 2021 New York Yankees. And I said that three weeks ago, but now I'm back, 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 back. Remember Chris Berman? That's me. Fully, fully back. Even Jacko's back. Was texting with Jacko throughout the course of this game. Jacko is back. Totoro is back. And now my expectation is the Yankees are going to be playing in the postseason. I'm going to be devastated now, point blank, if I'm not having at least a couple of nights at the bodega, in the Bronx, rocking the house, doing green rooms, doing New York, New York. I expect to be here in two months. I can't get enough of this team. It's amazing. I was so out on the Yankees. No lie, no exaggeration. You guys listen, you know the deal. But it just goes to show you how narratives and how storylines can change so much over 162 games. And I got to admit, I didn't know if this team had it in them. From what we saw over three plus months, from what we saw last year, I didn't know if this team had this sort of run in them. Give credit where credit is due. Now you want to get greedy. I want to be breaking out a broom tomorrow. And I will beat Yankee Stadium. Got an invite last minute. Not going to say no to that, especially on an off night. And if the Yankees win, we're doing a green room. I mean, you could take that to the bank. If they lose, we're not doing anything. If they win, sound the alarm, baby. Sound the alarm. We might do the green room from the bodega. Maybe as I'm having a celebratory beverage. Just saying. Just saying on an off night. So I am flying high right now. I think about where I was in Boston a month ago when I'm coming back to my buddy Ryan Murray's apartment. I'm trying not to wake up his girlfriend. I wanted to basically yell every profane piece of language out there for the world to hear. Totoro's calling me at three in the morning. He's all upset. Now, how are friends in Boston doing? How are they doing? How's Steve Peralt these days? How's Brian Patrick Corley? How's he doing today? And of course, how's our good pal Bill in Los Angeles? I hope vacation is treating him nicely. I hope he's having a nice uh, mojito right about now. I hope he's, uh, you know, doing his NFL research. I hope he's getting a double whammy. Yankees overtake the Red Sox, and then Tua throws four touchdowns against the Patriots in week one. Can we make that happen? Please. That'll get me even giddier. But tonight is a beautiful, beautiful night. So I'm sure the Yankee fan will be out in full force. Now, big comments made by the Giants earlier in the day is you heard from Dave Gettleman and you heard from John Mara. And I think a question a lot of Giant fans are going to have about the state of affairs with this team. Do the Giants have to be a playoff team for Dave Gettleman to return as this team's general manager? And the way I see it, 
you need minimum a winning season. Mara didn't want to commit to that. Mara basically wanted to tell you, we like Daniel Jones, but this is a big year for him. Didn't want to overly commit on the quarterback. I love that Gettleman was pressed on the Saquon Barkley draft pick because, listen, as I have said countless times for anybody who has been listening, taking a running back at two when you are not a championship team is the definition of malpractice if you are a general manager. Malpractice. Saquon's a great dude. He's a likable kid. That was an awful, 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 awful pick especially considering where the Giants are at. But when you got a general manager who's got a 15 and 33 record, think about that for a minute. 15 and 33. The Giants better have a winning season. Now, I know Mayor is going to take a whole lot of heat for the the taunting, and that was going to be a big storyline and a big talking point throughout the league. Uh, to me, that's uh, I couldn't care less right now. That's not my thing. Listen, if guys are you know celebrating, if they're not celebrating, it's let me put it this way: it's not keeping me up at night. It might keep some other folks around the league up at night. It's not keeping me up at night. What would keep me up at night if I'm a Giant fan is a 15 and 33 record in three years with this general manager. It's a big year for Gettleman. It's a big year for Jones. It's a big year for Barkley. I can't stress that enough. Barkley's looking to get paid. Jones is looking to show that he's the guy. And sooner or later, you got to win. Remember, the New York Giants are not playing in the AFC West. They don't have Mahomes to contend with. They don't have Brady to contend with. This is a very gettable division. I like the Washington football team. Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's their quarterback. Dallas, have you seen Dallas's defense? Giants got to win. That would be my message. If I'm John Mara, we got to win. Just like I saw a couple wins here in the Bronx tonight. Because sooner or later, enough is enough. Giants have been as bad as anybody. I mean, you take last year out of it because they were improved under Joe Judge. Look at the last four or five years. They've been a bad franchise. Got to start winning some games. Okay. We'll have the great Ricky Ricardo from Yankee Spanish Radio who's going to join us, make his first ever New York, New York appearance. And Ricky does the Eagles. So I'm curious to get a sense how he feels about the Eagles going into the year. I expect some giddy voicemails. And it's trivia day. A little trivia Q&A with JJ. And I expect you guys to be coming out guns and blazing. So it is a loaded show. Plus, we're getting you ready for your fantasy drafts. Jason Katz. Our buddy from FantasyPros.com is going to join us. All that more. New York, New York. We'll come right back. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So on a night where the Yankees sweep the Boston Red Sox, I'm at Yankee Stadium. I get a chance to see one of my favorite people on the planet, the Spanish radio voice of the Yankees and the Philadelphia Eagles making his New York, New York debut in grand style, Ricky Ricardo. What's happening, baby? How are you, JJ? Good to see you, buddy. Ricky. 
Be honest with me. Yes. Did you see this turnaround coming with the Yankees? I didn't. And you know I'm a positive person. I I, never saw this coming. I knew the possibility was there. I just didn't see the ship getting repositioned into the right path here. But it has. It really has. All credit to, number one, Cashman. Brian Cashman made, I mean, just tremendous moves at the trade deadline. And number two, Aaron Boone, who was having a very rocky season halfway through this season, has turned it around where just about every move he has made, they've gotten more aggressive stealing bases. Okay, this team never moved around on the bases. Out of necessity, when guys were out with COVID injuries, they started, you know, moving runners, stealing bases. You know, Tyler Wade, of all people, is, you know. He's played well for him, too. Very, very, very well. well. 12 stolen bases. Glaber Torres before he got hurt, had 12 stolen bases. You saw Judge steal a base tonight. This team is is running. It's moving runners along second to third. It's getting clutch hits, but the pitching is just... The pitching, and think about today. Montgomery comes off the COVID list, gives you a chance to win. Heal, they have called him up from the minor leagues. Ricky, I'm seeing a lot of similarities to what you got with Garcia last year. And what you got with Severino his first time around in 2015 when maybe Major League Baseball doesn't have the book on him. He's got a live arm. He's got plus stuff. And he is attacking guys. And on a night where he didn't have his best stuff, he's throwing a shutout in the fifth inning against the Red Sox? That tells me something. JJ, mentally, this kid has no fear whatsoever. So you liked him down in Tampa? absolutely. Okay, because you saw him in spring training. Oh, I've been watching him for a couple of years in spring training. He is stoic. You see him on the mound, doesn't get rattled by anything. He's got a tremendous arm. And look, we don't know the the condition of, of Severino. He's, what's he looking for a second opinion? That means the first opinion was not a good one. Was not a good one. So he's going to Neil Alatraj out in California for a second opinion. Okay. So Luis Hill's position and Nestor Cortez, who has been a godsend. When you think Don't of- you get the Aaron Small, Sean Chacon yes. vibes with Nestor? I yeah. mean, and he's had a lot of big games. Think about it, Ricky. That Sunday night game against the Mets, one of the low points of the year. He pitched great. The Astros, he's starting. Everybody's like, oh, God, you're throwing Nesta Cortez against the Astros. He shuts them down in Houston. I don't know what his role is for the rest of the year, but he has a role on this team. I don't know what it is, but he's got a role. Here's what his role is, JJ. On a staff of nothing but hard throwers, 98, 99 miles an hour, all very similar pitchers, all of a sudden you get this guy throwing, you know, his fastball tops out at 89, 90 miles an hour. He's throwing in the mid-70s. He's doing the Louis Tion shimmy, the whole thing, sidearm over different angles, you know, a la El Duque Hernandez, his fellow Cubano like me, you know, from Miami. He is a completely different approach of a pitcher. So in a three, four-game series, you might get Cole, who throws hard. You might get Tyone that throws hard. And all of a sudden, you got this little crafty lefty that's tossing this junk up there, and you've got hitters completely confused. And think about what the lefty bats have meant to this team. We haven't even gotten to see Rizzo the last two weeks, but in the first game, Alex Cora had to manage so much differently because of the presence of Joey Gallo. He yanked Whitlock out of the game. He says, oh, I want to have the lefty for Gallo. Then all of a sudden, the lefty gets the opportunity to face John Carlos Stanton. This is what I've been screaming about for a long time, Ricky. The idea of having balance up and down that lineup All of a sudden, you have Rizzo back maybe tomorrow or Thursday. Gallo, who's in the middle of the order. And Odor. And Odor. And let's be honest, Odor has been a godsend. How many big hits has he had? 
these lefty bats play. They play at Yankee Stadium and they make the righty power bats, I think, that much better. Odor is not only a powerful left-handed bat who always gives you a good at bat, but he spiritually, energy-wise, is that Paul O'Neill warrior, don't mess with us type of guy. He's got that whole... Remember? Well, he's got the Ricky Ricardo JJ vibe. Let's he's, be honest. He's, he That's does. what he's got. He's, he's, got, got he's in overdrive all the time. Let's remember what he did to Jose Batista at second base. Clocked him, baby. <laughs> like, clock. I would have the balls to do that. I can tell yeah, you that He much. is that kind of guy. You don't mess with my team. He's in on every co conference on the mound. You know, he is... He's showing leadership qualities that I didn't even know he had. You can't take this guy out of the lineup. He brings a different kind of energy that hasn't existed on this team since CC Sabathia left here. I think it's a great point. Now, here's my question, Neil. Everybody comes back. And listen, with the injuries this year, they'll get guys back and probably somebody else will go down. It's just that kind of year. But assuming you get Jurashella back and Anthony Rizzo is back, and let's just say we'll wait on Gleyber Torres. We'll wait on him for the next couple of weeks. Who is the guy that's going to lose out on playing time more so if you're managing the team? Is it Ruggie Odor or is it Boyd? To me, I want Ruggie playing against righties. And when you face that tough lefty, that to me is when I could get Luke Voigt in the lineup and DH him three days a week. You have watched Giancarlo Stanton now, what, about five, six games, play in the outfield both left and right. Very He's been fine. I've no harm, no foul. I've got no issue with Giancarlo. And I watched it's about him. damn time, too, yeah. Ricky, right? About him. time. I've watched him for years in Miami. He was always a good outfielder. He has shown you that he can hold his own. He gives Judge a shot at being a DH. He's going to give Voight a shot at being a DH. Voight's going to get at bats against a tough lefty, although Rizzo's numbers are better against lefties than righties. But Rizzo ain't going anywhere. He's, he's playing every day. Anywhere. You know that. Yeah. And now remember, we are, what is, what's today? The 16th, 17th? Something like that. 17th. Who the hell so we're two weeks away uh, from September. The roster will go to 28 in September. Two more. Okay. So you'll be able to keep a guy like Voight. You'll be able to keep a guy like, and maybe even depending on, on the Glaber situation, you might even be able to have the 28th man be a guy like Velasquez, who gives you dynamite defense. You know, can run a little bit and be your second, you know, quote unquote, utility guy after uh, Tyler Wade. I don't think you're going to get Urshela or Glaber back before September anyway. So right now, 26 men, you're going to have Voight. Look, are, are guys going to get their at-bats cut down? Yes. But if this team continues to play the way it is, it's moving through the rankings here. They've now left the Red Sox behind in the loss column. They're both five backs. Tampa's going to win tonight. They're winning 10 nothing in the ninth inning. They're going to both be five back, but the Yankees with one fewer loss than Boston, okay? Tomorrow night's a big game because Boston needs it to even up in the loss column. The Yankees can go two Go for off. the throw. And that's a, the only thing that sucks about tomorrow night's game is the starting pitcher. But on the other side, the Red Sox, who have been in cruise control basically all year now, Ricky, they're in a situation where they're feeling the heat a little bit. People in Boston are probably saying, what has happened to this team? My buddy Bill from Los Angeles a month ago was saying this is the most enjoyable Red Sox season since 04. He has been very, very quiet as of late. So all of a sudden, the Red Sox went from like a feel-good story to people basically saying, well, well what has happened they, with this team? They've come back down to earth. Regression. It's, Inevitable. It's that simple. They, they've come back to earth. You had guys like Martin Perez, you know, his dominant starting pitch. Nick Pavetta. Remember, you know, I watched You saw him in Philadelphia for Nick years. Nick Pavetta, I watched him in Philly for you. Couldn't get anybody out. He'll pitch here tomorrow night. Okay, he's been a feel-good story, but his, his ERA is over four, although he's got nine wins. 
But these aren't guys that have proven over a 162-game season. They were great for the first, you know, 90, 100, 100 and something games. They've hit a wall. The trade deadline, Heim Bloom got, you know, kind of caught behind the rest of, of baseball. Got Schwarber, but they really should have gotten they Rizzo. Need Rizzo. They, they needed a first baseman. They, they needed also needed a starting pitcher, too. Yes. Because it's obvious now. And the one thing I'd say, Ricky, the Yankees, I'm going to be devastated now if they're not playing in the postseason. I do not think they're catching Tampa. Do you the, think it's realistic? No, I think the Yankees will not catch Tampa. The Red Sox are the American League version of the Mets. It's an interesting, interesting comparison, thinking about it that way. I think the Red Sox still have hope, though, for the final. I, more hope, I should say, than the Mets, I think, over the final two months. Well, because Sale is back. I mean, the, the, the Met version of Sale is DeGrom. So they have that, both have the one dominant starting pitcher. And then you're really putting it together after that. The Strowmans of the world, the Carrascos of the world over here. You've got the, you know, the Avaldis of the world, uh, guys like Pavetta and, you know, the kid Hauk that we saw in the first game here. There's really nothing to be afraid of after you get by Sale and maybe Evaldi, who looks like the Yankees, maybe kind of figured well, out a little bit. time. I feel like Evaldi only pitches well against the Yankees. I mean, he, <laughs> listen, he's an all-star, good for him. The only time I see him go and dominate is when he's got that righty lineup. You know, the American League, listen, I think the Rays are legit. I never spit on the Rays. They know how to win. They've beaten the Yankees. They're not afraid of the Yankees. But you look up and down the American League, to me, Ricky, the Yankees are 4-2 against the Astros. They easily could have been 6-0. Sure. They've played very well against Chicago. It could have been 6-0 against Chicago. JJ, just those crushing losses, the, the, the Anaheim loss, the Astro loss, those five crushing defeats of which they were very resilient and came back And from. that's where you got to give Boone credit. Because I've Tremendous. been killing them all year. The fact that the team has gotten off the mat after every single one of those losses, that's leadership right That's there. leadership. It's leadership. You're, right. You're absolutely right. It's, it comes from Boone. It comes from guys like Phil Nevin, who bounced back from having COVID and it was very, very sick. There's been a lot of examples throughout the season, COVID, injuries, tough losses. I mean, this team has gotten kicked in the you-know-what in the groin over and over and over again, not just on the field, but off the field. The biggest number of COVID cases have been the Yankees. Key injuries have been the Yankees. They have got, they bounced back. They've gotten off the mat with every one of these difficult situations all the way till now. That's why I said, I thought it was in them. When you asked me that I think they had this run in them, I thought the pieces were there to have this kind of run in them. I just wasn't sure if they would run out of time before everything clicked. Everything is clicking right now. I think you're going to keep getting guys back. Remember, Clay Holmes has been dynamite. He's been really good. Really good. He'll be back at some point. You're going to get Rizzo back here, hopefully sooner than later this week at some point. There's going to be six weeks left in the season. They still have a California road trip coming up, four against the A's. And they never play well in Oakland. They never, never play well on the West Coast. They, they, they have difficulty sometimes. Uh, they either dominate the Angels or the Angels they dominate them. Yeah. yeah, there's no it's, middle ground. There's no middle ground. So they're going to go on this road trip where they go to Atlanta, a couple of games. Atlanta's in Atlanta. playing great, too. And Atlanta playing is, great. is in the driver's seat now in first place, beat Miami tonight 2-0 against Sandy Alcantara. So they're going to go to Miami for a couple of games. Then they, they go out west, four against Oakland, three against the Angels before they come back home to take on the Orioles on Labor Day weekend. But that's going to be a big-time road trip. And let's you know let, let's also look at Toronto. Toronto is not a team to be sleeping on either. And they're and they got a of lot games, of games with the Yankees. A too. lot of games, and they've played well against the Yankees. They most certainly have. Now, you're getting ready for Eagles season as oh, well. Yeah. And right now, I look at the division. I think Washington's team to beat. 
I do. I just think their defense is terrific. I think they're well coached. But you know this. You've been around the NFC East your entire life. Nobody repeats in the NFC Nobody East. repeats. I mean, isn't one. it crazy? It's, and even yeah. if you're in the odds department, last like the Philadelphia Eagles, I've seen it in the NFC East all the time. The team that's expected to finish in last ends up finishing in first. JJ, you know, my my the team of my birth, because okay, I'm an Eagle fan now. I've been there 10 years. But I'm a Jet guy from birth. Okay, you and I both have lived through good Fitzpatrick and bad yes, Fitzpatrick. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. We don't know what kind of Fitzpatrick they're going to get in Washington. Okay, although their lines are both good, the defensive line is good, the offensive line is good. I like the coach too. I like Rivera. I like Ron. But, but quarterback play is going to be key in the NFC East. Is Dak Prescott the best? The best quarterback of the four? I mean, if you rank the four Absolutely. quarterbacks, if he's it's, healthy, yes, it's it, healthy. You got to rank them. Prescott. I guess you go Fitzpatrick second. That's what I would do. And I think Jones and Hurts. Jones or a coin flip. and Hurts. We have no idea. A, a, or a coin flip. Are you a Hurts guy or no? I'm beginning to be. Listen, he can run, and that's important in this modern day NFL. You got to be able to run. I the accuracy scares me a little bit, Rick. That would scare me a little bit. Yeah. Well, let's let's give him a full season. And that's the thing. I've seen him uh, what three or four games. Yeah. Uh, let's give him a full season without the shadow of Carson Wentz hanging over him on the sideline. This is a kid who at Alabama had had Tua over his shoulder. He had to go to Oklahoma to stand out. He gets to the pros. He's, you know, part again, he's part of a controversy this time with Carson Wentz. This is his team this year. I mean, it's Joe Flacco, but Flacco's a backup. I don't even think about Nick Mullins. Nobody's even considering Flacco as the starter. He knows this is his team, his job to lose. The owner said this. Jeffrey Lurie said this twice in the offseason. It is a season of transition. JJ, when the owner tells you we're going to be bad, believe, believe him. Yeah, he's not lying. Believe, believe him. transition. That's one of those key phrases yeah. in sports. You hear transition? Yeah. Not usually a good thing when for that the upcoming year. When the owner is telling you, I'm okay with it. It's going to be a year of transition. Believe him. He's telling you. But you know what, though, Ricky? If you yeah. get the year of transition, like the Dolphins did a couple right. of years ago, you can accept it as a fan. Absolutely. You can accept it. Great having you. Don't be a stranger. And... We need to put the wheels in motion, my friend. December, when I come down for Dolphins and Giants. New York Giants, and hopefully it's after a lengthy, extended, fun October run <laughs> where we're having a few more of these conversations here in the Bronx. I'm traveling with the sticks. I'm renting the car and around the golf and a couple of cervezas on tap, baby. We will either do something uh, near Doral. Maybe we'll take a drive up to Palm Beach. Okay, hey, the You call the shots. That's your town. I just am in for I'll ride. drive down. I live in Orlando. I'll drive down. I'll meet you. We'll do a cut. We'll go. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take you to a place. I'm going to give him a plug right here. Lee Lipton, who is one of the great New Yorkers of all time, the A-list party guy, Studio 54. We're talking. Oh, the, I would have fit the in, 70, in the 70s. 80s. I would have fit in perfectly. Well, Lee has got two great restaurants on the beach in Lake Worth. And... The ex-president goes there. You got to be. I'm in. I mean, it's, I mean it's, I'm it's, in. You're telling me. Yeah. Golf, 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 on the beach, a beverage or two, hang out with you. Tremendous paella right oh, there. Oh, Ricky, come on now. Right, I'm going to show you how to live, baby. That's the great Ricky Ricardo. We're back with your calls. A lot more to do. New York, New York. We're coming right back. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of 
the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. So that was a ton of fun. Anytime I have the opportunity to catch up with my dude, Ricky Ricardo, the Spanish radio voice extraordinaire for the Yankees and the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, Ricky is just dialed in. He knows these teams inside and out. He bleeds Yankee baseball. And, you know, Ricky went viral a couple of years ago when the Eagles played that double doink game. What was it against? Uh, Chicago. Cody Parkey. The no senor, no senor, no senor call. I mean, that was some legendary, legendary stuff. So, Ricky brings out the good vibes of me. What can I say? The Yankees sweeping the Red Sox brings out the good vibes of me. I'll tell you what wouldn't bring out good vibes. If you're a Mets fan, thinking about how this season is completely falling apart. The Mets are 12 and 20 since the All-Star break. The Mets are now a game under 500. And they're four and a half games behind the Atlanta Braves after losing yet again to the San Francisco Giants. Think about this for a minute. The Mets went through this stretch of games. Dodgers, Giants. Dodgers, Giants. You want to get a sense for how they'd respond. Well, they're 0-5 against the Dodgers and the Giants. They got a decent game out of Stroman tonight. Listen, you love the fact that he gave you seven innings. You love the fact that he had a season high in strikeouts. You don't love the fact that he gave up two runs in the first inning. You don't love the fact that in the seventh inning, he gives up the home of the Longoria, which ended up being the difference in the game because Alonzo comes right back with a two-run homer. And I actually thought the Mets were going to tie this game in the ninth inning. When Belt doesn't turn that double play, I kind of had a feeling they were going to tie this game. Couldn't have been more wrong. Pilar ends up striking out with the game on the line. And here's my issue with Stroman. He pitched fine. He's not the reason they lost this game. That's not what I'm trying to suggest. So I got a tweet from somebody the other day when we did our top 15 list. And apparently Marcus Stroman is liking tweets saying that he should have been on the list. This is where Marcus Stroman drives me insane. Dude, why do you care? You're a professional athlete. Your team is trying to play for a pennant race. Why do you give a rat's ass about where you are in John Zustremski's top 15 list? I, I appreciate that you care that much, but you shouldn't. That's the point. You think Kevin Durant? You think Jacob DeGrom? You think these guys are like scouring Judge Pete Alonzo? No. And if they see it on Twitter, they're not liking it and responding to it. It's like juvenile to me. Do less, Marcus. I love the engagement to a point. Not to the point where, you know, your team is in free fall and you're like, oh, I should be on a top 15 list. Like, I, I, I see stuff like that. It drives me insane. Drives me insane. But with the Mets now 12 and 20 since the All-Star break, and now four and a half games out of first place because the Braves won again. And the Braves, it feels like they win night after night after night. What are the Mets going to be looking at by the end of this giant stretch? Because the Braves got cupcakes. They got cupcakes throughout the weekend. The Mets would be lucky to get three in the next five against the Dodgers. Lucky to get three in the next five. Giants Wednesday and then the Dodgers over the next four. 
they go two and three, they're probably losing another game or two in the standings. And then you're looking at five and a half, six and a half with about a month and change to play. Have the Mets shown you any reason to believe they're going to snap out of it and make up that ground? This looks like a dead team walking. No DeGrom, no Lindor, no Baez, no punch in the lineup. Starting pitching that is regressed. A bullpen that is overtaxed. This has nightmarish stretch written all over it. All right, folks, now it's time. Voicemail time. And I expect the Yankee fan to be in quite good spirits. 917-382-1151. You know how we roll around here. 917-382-1151. It's so much more fun doing these shows at the ballpark after a win as opposed to being here after a loss. I mean, talk about night and day. It is night and day. All right, Sarudi, let's let it off with a bang. JJ, it's uh, Anthony and Syosset. I'm back from the European summer vacation, landed at JFK. Yankees won the first game against Boston. It would be great if they could win tonight as well. Um, listen, again, the bullpen is still a tremendous issue. The wise the guy think bases loaded, no outs, got out of it. You're not going to win in October if your bullpen's performing that way, but you have to be excited at, at, at the least, and I know you are. I'll tell you what I'm excited about, though. This team has an opportunity to do what the team in 2017 did with, you know, getting behind the little rally cry. You know, they had the thumbs down in 2017. If the marketing people are smart this year, what they do is they run wild with this Italian thing with uh, Gallo and Rizzo. Give out Italian flags, have Italian team nights, you know, Italian flag night, Howard Beach night, John Travolta night, staying alive night. Just let this Italian gimmick run straight through, hopefully through to October. Um, and, and you could get the crowd into it. You could get track suits in the right field bleachers, sunglasses at night. It could be tremendous. You know, they got to go with it. Uh, and speaking of go with it, you know, one of your, uh, one of your buddies from your terrestrial radio days who hasn't mentioned my name since those days, I guess finally figured out how to download a podcast and make a podcast work on his phone. And now is calling me out. Alex from Newark, do me a favor. Shut the fuck up, all right? Alex from Newark, when you have listeners of the show asking JJ what your Twitter account is, and when you start getting recognized at weddings, black tie weddings in New York, then you're on my level. Until then, please, do me a favor. Shut the fuck up and stick to the Elton John shit. Thank you. I shot fired from the great Anthony and Syosset, and full disclosure, no lie, no bullshit. I am leaving the second deck of Yankee Stadium to get into this little cave where we're doing a show from the press box. So I run into a bunch of listeners. Great. Take a couple of pictures. More than happy to help. One of the gentlemen that I was with told me that Anthony and Syosset is his favorite caller of all time. And I actually have the video that I will at some point tweet out. Maybe I will send it to Anthony and Syosset and he can add it to his reel. You know, like broadcasters put together a reel Anthony and Syosset is going to have like his fan club. So he's in his glory right now. And listen, I'm in my glory too. The Yankees are back. They just swept the doubleheader from the Red Sox. They've evened it up with the Red Sox. And I'm all for the Viva Italia. I feel like I'm going to get Sarudi out here in a tracksuit. Stefan, you could join the party too. We'll all rock the tracksuits. We'll bring an Italian flag. Uh, I'm not going uh, with the tape up Jersey Shore style. I'm not going down that road again. Been there, done that. Didn't work out particularly well for me. 
but I am full on board embracing the Paisans and the Italian stallions, you know? And our guys at Barstool put together that shirt. It's a nice shirt. They're probably going to make a lot of money that way. So yeah, I'm all for it. Good vibes, good energy. Drastic difference from what you had around the Yankees just a month ago. Who's next? Jade, John from Long Island. You know, man, when you offered that odds boost on the Yankees sweep today, I was like, why is he tempting fate? Why is he tempting the wrath from high atop the thing? I was certain that we were going to get swept after I saw that. But now I got to call you Nostradamus, my guy, because we did it. We fucking swept the Red Sox. What a fucking few weeks it has been for this fucking team. Where has it been all year? I don't know. I don't care. But it's fucking here now. Even this second game against Evaldi, we didn't score that many runs, but we were getting way better at bats against this guy. We are way more confident at the plate. The addition of Gallo has been huge, as we've said a million times. I'm excited for Rizzo to come back. Man, I don't know about you. I'm believing in this team. And if you look at the standings, we're in playoff position now. Let's go! Yes! I love the fire. I love the enthusiasm from Johnny. And he's so right about the difference in this lineup. Now having lefty bats, look at the first game, look at the fifth inning, and think about how Alex Cora would have managed that game differently if you don't have a lefty bat to make you think a little bit. That's going to change that much more once you put Anthony Rizzo back into the lineup as soon as tomorrow. And I heard Void after the game. Listen, Void right now is like, hey, I'm doing my part. I deserve to play just as much as Rizzo. You don't because you're not as good a defender. You're not as good at bat and you're not left-handed. Luke earns time. I got to give Luke credit for that. He's earned some playing time on this team at the expense of Anthony Rizzo. That's comical. That's comical. That's a little bit too much pride dare I say, kicking in. And you could call me Nostradamus. We were feeling it with the odds boost. We were feeling it. Was I in love with it? Going to the ballpark at around 12, 15? Absolutely not. But when I got from Brooklyn Heights to Yankee Stadium, and I kid you not, 23 minutes on a Tuesday afternoon, I had a feeling it was going to be a really good day. So we were already invested in the odds boost. I threw another couple of bucks on it. So I hope for anybody who played our New York, New York ringer FanDuel Sportsbook odd boost, you're a winner if you bet the Yankees and parlayed them in game one and in game two at a doubleheader. And it's crazy to think about where this team was, how down and out many of us felt about the 2021 New York Yankees. And I think everybody has been sucked back in. Who's next? JJ, Mike from Stanford. How about that? Two, uh, what do you call it? Two, two games in a row against the Sox. But anyway, it's amazing. I forgot who you had on the podcast a couple weeks back right after the Red Sox series in Fenway. And he was like a broadcaster for the Sox. And he was saying how, you know, they weren't scared of us. Man, that narrative has changed. I mean, we still got to win tomorrow, but let's give it up for Johnny Lasagna. Everyone else, Wandy, Wandy, whatever his name is, fuck yeah, let's go. The Yankees actually got some outs at the end of the game. What a concept. Um, Wandy Peralta's been fantastic. And again, a lot of Yankee fans didn't understand that trade when it was made. Why are you DFAing Mike Cockman? What good is Wandy Peralta going to do? Well, Wandy Peralta over the last month has turned into 
one of the guys that you can look at in that circle of trust. He's gotten a lot of big outs. I mean, those were some huge outs today. He got one of the best hitters in the American League, Rafael Devers, a guy who owns the Yankees. Then you think about the following inning, that play where he stabs the ball, composes himself, fires across the first base. Yankee Stadium was going nuts when that happened. Right now, Brian Cashman's looking pretty good. Say what you want about what we were saying about the construction and the feel of this roster in April or in May or in June. They go and get Rizzo. They go and get Gallo. They go and get Odor. They've transformed the bullpen. And they are dead even with the Red Sox. Now, I don't think they're catching a race. Uh, Ricky and I are on the same page with that one. I, I do not think they're catching Tampa. I think Tampa's too good. They don't have the head-to-head. Get me in the playoffs. That's my mentality if I'm a Yankee fan. Get me in the playoffs with Garrett Cole on the mound ready to rock and roll. And I'll take my chances. Who's next? It's a Sal from Valley Stream. Hello, JJ. I would like to ask you, what would be your expectations for Daniel Jones? And how much money would the Mets have saved if Jose Reyes stayed in New York for a little longer? Thank you. I'll start with Jones. I have no interest in doing Jose Reyes tonight. I mean, talk about been there, done that. I mean, that would have been a topic that was relevant in 2000 and I don't know, uh, 11 or 2016. I don't think Jose Reyes really flies and is uh, apropos for 2021. Look, I think the expectations for Jones, cut down on the turnovers in half, throw north of 25 touchdowns, use your legs, and lead the Giants to a winning record. I don't have like certain statistical benchmarks that I'm necessarily looking for out of Jones. I, I, I don't see it that way. If you're a sports fan, you're a football fan, your eyes are going to tell you the story. You're going to know. Trust me when I say this. You're going to know. You're going to have a sense. You're going to have a feel for what kind of improvement and what kind of growth and development you've gotten from this quarterback. You're going to know. Who's next? John, Jason from Stony Brook. Great spot with Danny Heifetz. I just followed him on Twitter. He nailed it right on point when it came to the Giants football preview this year. I'm very concerned, and it's exactly what Danny was saying. I definitely want to hear him more on the podcast, especially when the season gets rolling. Um, can't say enough good things about Danny, but the reason I have my concerns with the Giants are offensive line, Saquon Barkley staying healthy, and the effectiveness of Daniel Jones. Definitely a make or break year for him. I'd rather have Justin Fields right now over Daniel Jones. That's just me based on the fact that Justin Fields was better in college than Daniel Jones was. To me, this is how I see it, John. This is how I, on this date today, this is how I feel the Giants are going to be successful. If the Giants manage to have a tremendous defense, which was very good last year, but it needs to be even better this year. If it's, if it's as good or better this year than it was last year, we're in good shape. And if Barkley turns out to be a stud like he was in his first year, if he is awesome, and the Giants are focusing primarily on him taking the ball and doing wonders with it, and less of Jones. I don't need to see Jones turn out to be, because he's not. He's not He's not Pat Mahomes. He's not Russell Wilson. I want Daniel Jones to be a game manager, a la Trent Dilfer in 2000. Just let him manage the game 
and let Saquon be the star and let the defense dictate, you know, basically how we're going to go this year because I just don't trust this offense at all. It's Saquon we trust, and hopefully he's healthy to carry us to the playoffs. Later, JJ. Well, this is never going to win that way. If Daniel Jones and your idea of winning at a high level is making him a game manager, you're not going to win because there's a limited shelf life for what you can achieve playing that style of football. There's a cap to it. And I'm not saying that Jones needs to make the Josh Allen leap. That's probably unrealistic. That's probably unfair. He needs to be an upper half quarterback in the league. And it's not as simple as just managing the game. He's got to make plays. But he's got to be smart with the football. He cannot be careless with the football. But you don't want to neuter him, too. So it's a slippery slope. It's a fine line. Saquon, listen, you're never going to get me to defend that pick. Never, ever, 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 ever going to get me to defend that pick. Saquon's got to be one of the top five running backs in the league for this offense to be dynamic. I don't love the line. I have questions about the quarterback. I think the defense will be pretty good. I think the coach is pretty good. They're in the right division. See, that's the good news for the Giants. The Giants are in the right division to go and make a move. They need to be a winning team this year. Now, the coach is not going anywhere. But for this general manager, the Giants go 7-10. and 10. What in God's name are the Giants doing keeping Dave Gettleman running the show? Explain that to me. Why would that in any way make sense? Gettleman's got a lot to prove. Barkley's got a lot to prove. Jones got a lot to prove. It's a big year for the Giants. The coach is safe. Those other guys, to varying degrees, maybe, maybe not. Last but not least, before we have a little fun with trivia, who do we got? Hey, JJ. This is uh, George from Chicago. I really enjoyed your uh, top 15 New York list. Uh, I'm excited for it to be a staple of the show for years to come. But I've got a bone to pick with you of a guy that wasn't included on your list, and I I wanted a clarification on it. That guy I'm talking about is, uh, you know, won the AFC championship game last year and was the runner-up for uh, last year's MVP race. I think you know who I'm talking about. That's Josh Allen, man. You know, I, I get it. You know, Buffalo is upstate New York, and us, you know, New Yorkers don't consider it a part of New York. But come on, man, you got to give Buffalo some love. On your last pod, you even said you thought about putting a devil on that list. So just wanted your thoughts on that. One last thing. Um, you mentioned previously that you started playing golf. I'm thinking of starting it up as well. Any tips for beginners to get started? Kind of something that that you wish you knew from the beginning. Anyways, love the pod, JJ. All right, there's a lot to get to there. Appreciate it. Number one, the Buffalo Bills are never getting included on this list. This is New York, New York, and the tri-state area. We are not talking about teams that play in Western New York. Then I'm putting Syracuse guys on the list. We're putting Buffalo Bills on the list. Then I'm putting Buddy Beheim on our top 15, okay? So that's not going to happen. That's number one. Number two. Especially with, you know, two local New York tri-state area football teams, even though they play in New Jersey. But that's a story for a different day. So no Buffalo Bills. When the ringer decides to launch the Western New York pod, be my guest. Right now, I can't include Buffalo Bills. I can't. The biggest mistake I made when I started taking up golf, I wish I took a lesson earlier. I wish I took a lesson earlier. I now am taking lessons with the great Dave Polchinski and... The great Chris Gabriel over at Sleepy Hollow, who is one of the best pros you're going to find. Dave, who's at 
Creighton right now. He's a lawyer. He's, you know, he's always going to be my golf pro in my heart, but he's now off to bigger and better things. I text with him all the time. Chris, I talk to all the time. Just getting the form and the mechanics down because I got too many bad habits from baseball and you got to play a lot. That's one thing I'd say about golf. You want to get good at golf, you have to play a lot of golf. I suck, but you see improvement and you start to make those smallish gains by playing. That's the idea. Trivia time. A little trivia Q&A with JJ. Sorority, I thought I did pretty damn well last week. So I'm counting on you to maybe rig it so that I actually have some questions that I have a chance on. Let's hear it. Hey, JJ. Sean Lowndes here with some uh, Q&A with JJ. I'm going to focus again on Sam Darnold and the Jets getting ready for week one when the Jets will face Sam Darnold. Now, as you know, Sam Darnold's first game uh, as a Jet, he had a magical night in Detroit. His first ever touchdown pass came to his now teammate, Robbie Anderson. But I'm going out to the end, JJ. What will go down as the last touchdown pass in Sam Darnold's career as a Jet? I'll give you a hint. It was a 21-yarder in the second quarter of Week 17 against the Patriots last year. But Robbie Anderson caught Sam Darnold's first touchdown as a Jet. Who caught his last touchdown as a Jet? Thanks so much, JJ. Take care. Wow, that's an excellent, excellent question. And maybe it's because I'm getting a little PTSD from the Dolphins getting smoked week 17 in Buffalo. Maybe that's why I didn't want to include Josh Allen and any of the Buffalo Bills on my list. Uh, I think back to week 17 last year, and that's all I can think about. That horror show. I think Buffalo just scored again. The last touchdown that Sam Darnold threw was in the ER jet. I think I have a decent idea with this one. Not positive. Going to take a stab. Going to take a stab. We'll do that right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, here we are, trying to get off to a good note, good foot, with our trivia Q&A with JJ. Last touchdown pass that Sam Donald threw as a Jet. I'm going to say Chris Herndon. Don't feel great, but that's going to be my guess. How about that? Wow. This is just my day. I mean, let's be honest. 22 minutes, getting Yankee Stadium, two wins, fan to odds boost, and a Chris Herndon winner right out of the gate. Come get some. I'm hot. So I heard we got two more. Two more, Saruti. What's next? KJ, Stephen, Brooklyn. No Yankee land for me today, but I do want to get involved with the trivia finally. So I got a good Yankee question for you. Well, it was the Yankees. Who hit the last home run of the 20th century? So you got to say 99, World Series. Like I said, I'm very, very confident about this because we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago when he came on the podcast. I mentioned this home run to him because it's actually a great Bob Costas call that you could put him on an island and just bring him back for October and he's going to hit. The last janky home run in the 20th century was Jim Laritz in game four of the 99 World Series. I'm right. Let's go. 
Yeah, I didn't even need the sounder right there. I didn't even need it. You know what that was? That was me basically pimping my home run before it even landed. You know what I mean? Like, I did the bat flip right there. My, I, I already made contact, and I knew. I didn't even need to hear the answer. I was that confident. So I am two for two right now, which means the third trivia question is probably going to be a doozy. Who's up? All right. Hey, JJ, or should I say John Kwistrensky? I think you should have went with that name. Um, whatever. Never mind. Um, this is Aaron from Iowa, and I'm calling for the Trivia Tuesday thing. I have a, I have a trivia question for you. It's about the Nets. Who was the last Net before they got the big three? Who averaged twenty five at least twenty five points per game? And what season was it? That's my question. That's my trivia question. And then I have a question for you, a music question. I've liked you talking about music recently. You have a pretty similar taste to me. And millions of people. We like this, we like good music. We like popular stuff. We like well-crafted songs. I heard you like the Eagles, so you might be interested in this. A few weeks ago, I saw James Taylor and Jackson Brown. I like Jackson Brown more than James Taylor. What about you, James Taylor or Jackson Brown? I know neither of them are from New York, but I'm sure you have an opinion on two of the greatest songwriters in the United States. Thanks. Thanks. Aaron, with a couple of very interesting questions there. Um, I'll go with the music one first just because it's fresh. I like uh, James Taylor a little bit more than Jackson Brown. I know Doggy's a big Jackson Brown fan. Gigantic Jackson Brown fan. I like James Taylor, though. You got a friend, smiling face, Mexico. And I saw James Taylor with my pops down at the Gata a couple of years ago. Really, really good show. Up close, small environment, intimate arena. Really, really enjoyed James Taylor. Now, trivia. The last net to average 25 points per game. We're taking a big three out of it. I have it narrowed down to one or two guys, folks. I have it narrowed down to one or two guys. I think it is either Darren Williams or Joe Johnson. I'm going to go with my gut here. I don't know how confident I am in this answer, but you know what? Yellow, I'm throwing it out anyway. I'm going to say it was Joe Johnson in either the, see the year, it's, it's either 2013, or 2012, 2013, 2013, 2014. Regardless, I'm going with my fellow JJ as the chance to make it three for three. Did I go three for three? Mm. Oh, that's a bummer. I was like really confident about Joe Johnson. I didn't pimp it, but I was fairly certain I got that answer correct. He actually didn't come close to averaging 25 points a game with the Nets. When okay. He was so Did it not, wasn't. I think his so eye was. There's was, no way. Well, there's no way it was kid. Kid was never averaging it 25 was not points kid, per game. It was not kid. All right. So we're going to go further back then. I'm going to say that it was Stefan Marbury. It's not Stefan Marbury. It it's was the New Jersey Nets. All right. So that, it's the Jersey Nets. Yep. So that means Darren Williams is out. Okay. Yep. Jeez. 25 points per game. It wasn't Marbury. It wasn't Kidd. It can't be Derek Coleman. It's not Derek Coleman, right? Mm. All right, I'm taking one more stab at this. 
and then I'm waving the white flag. I'm throwing one more jersey net out there because I'm not saying it's that. It's definitely not Dr. J. Mm. It's definitely not. I know that. I can give you. How about no? I, I I don't even want a hint. Don't even want a hint. Is it Kenny Anderson? Mm. I'm done. I've taken I, enough well, guesses on this, this one. Hint. Let me give you this hint. I believe he was traded from the Nets to my Orlando Magic. Vince Carter? It was Vince Carter. Really? He averaged... See, I'm shocked by that, Saruti. I'm shocked by that. Now, listen, Vince Carter, you know, Hall of Fame career, never never thought of him as a guy that was averaging 25 points per game when he was with the Nets. I'm surprised by that. 2006-2007 season, Vince Carter averaged just over 25 points. See, I would have put him in the low 20s with New Jersey at the time. You know, because they still had they they still had some dudes on that team. They lost Kenyon Martin, but they still had Richard Jefferson. They still ended up having Jason Kidd. Yeah, I I was I was off on that. You know, I was told, I didn't think of Vince Carter as a twenty five point per game guy with New Jersey, so I was wrong. I'll take the L on that one. Take the L. Two out of three. Not that. Not that bad. Not that. Hey, bad. as Meatloaf once you gotta, said, you know, knock you off the pedestal just a little bit. You can't be too high. Yeah, sometimes when you're riding too high, you got to be brought back down to earth. So you guys know the deal. Every Tuesday and a Wednesday, trivia Q&A with yours truly, JJ. That's what we do around here on New York, New York. And hey, if I'm going to bat 667 doing trivia, show after show after show, I'm going to be a very happy camper. We'll get you ready for your fantasy drafts across the board. My good buddy, my good pal is making his New York, New York debut. You're going to like him. Jason Katz up next. So now that the fantasy season is upon us, and I know many of you will have your drafts and your get-togethers over the next couple weeks, even though I always say the best time to draft is that last week in August, that first week in September, if you could squeeze it in the day after Labor Day, two days after Labor Day, that's more than ideal. So to help us try to figure out who we like and who we don't, we welcome back an old pal. I've known him basically for the last 20 years of my life. He was a weekly contributor to my old gig over at JJ After Dark. So, of course, we're bringing him to New York, New York. From Fantasy Pros, the guru himself, our buddy Jason Katz. What's up, Jason? John, I am so pumped to be on your new show. You are doing great things here. I have listened to every single episode. I do not miss one, and I am honored to be a part of it. Well, I appreciate that dedication and that loyalty. That's for starters. And now you have an even wider audience to, you know, share your fantasy wisdom with. Are you excited? You are now taking your talents, not just in this New York little bubble that we live in, Jason. We're taking them tri-statewide. We're taking them nationwide. We're taking them worldwide. So no pressure. Don't suck, okay? <laughs> I mean, at the other place, if they're not listening live, they're probably not listening. Here, people can listen whenever they want. They can listen today, tomorrow, next week. So this is here, and it's here for everybody. And I, I do. There's an increased pressure. I got. I got to deliver for the good people that listen to your show. I like the sound of that. Okay, fantasy strategies. I'm going to keep this very generic right out of the gate. With the emergence of the running quarterback, the Allen, the Kyler Murray, the Mahomes to some degree, is it now to a point, Jason? Because you and I have been on the same page with this forever. Wait on a quarterback, wait on a quarterback, wait on a quarterback. That's always been your mindset. It's been my mindset, and we take it from there. But I feel like with fantasy football now, if you don't have a quarterback that can run, it 
almost as if you're so behind the eight ball. Is that something that has changed for you as the NFL has evolved here over the last couple of years? Do you need a quarterback who's going to be able to do a little bit of both? I wouldn't go so far as to say need, but my philosophy over the past couple of years has been, if my quarterback can't run, I don't want him. So I'm completely in lockstep with you on this. It's, it's why a guy like Aaron Rodgers, for example, MVP last year, top three quarterback, if you had him, he did wonders for your fantasy team. But I'm not really interested in him this year because he doesn't run. He threw 48 touchdowns last year with an absurd touchdown rate. If that comes down even a little bit, say he throws 40 touchdowns, fantastic season. He goes from top five to barely a QB1 in fantasy. And that's because he just doesn't run. I want the running quarterbacks, the the edge you get from the ten yard uh, point per 10 yards versus the point per 25 yards for passing. It's just invaluable in modern fantasy. Okay, buddy. A couple of years ago, you were all over Kyler Murray. We talked about him preseason. I drafted him every which way I could. I certainly reaped the benefits of that because Kyler, from a fantasy standpoint, has been fabulous the last two years, even though he tailed off in the final couple of games of last year. Corley was playing hurt. Neither here nor there. This year, what I want you to do for the audience, find me that guy that's in the middle of the pack, fantasy rankings at quarterback, that we should be all over as we get ready for our drafts. So in a single quarterback league, both of the guys that I'm going to mention, you probably can't draft them because they're not starting week one. And Ooh, that's the rookies. So you're digging deep here. I like this already. I like it. We're talking the rookies, Justin Fields and Trey Lance. I have really liked Justin Fields. He was my QB two in this class. I want to say QB one, but I, I just, I have to just trust that everyone is right about Trevor Lawrence. But Justin Fields, I believe, was disrespected. And the reality is, we know that Andy Dalton's days are numbered. I don't expect him to make it out of September as the starter. Once Fields takes over, I think he's an instant fantasy option. Take a look at a guy like Jalen Hurts, for example. Hurts was completing about, what, 50% of his passes. It was very inaccurate. But the man posted an overall QB1 week. He was a legit QB1 in fantasy because he can run. Now take that and add in a stronger arm and just a better overall football IQ and just a better football player, and you get Justin Fields, who also has a better supporting cast because he has an Allen Robinson, which Jalen Hurts did not. So that gives me tremendous optimism about what Justin Fields can do once he takes over. Now, as for Trey Lance, I'm worried that he could end up sitting on the bench a little longer because the 49ers are a good the team. The Niners a, are good. Yeah. They're going to make a change, you know, and I'm with you there because I saw him throw the ball 780 yards down the field. And if you're in that system, Jason, you're putting up numbers. That's just all there is to it. You're going to thrive playing for Kyle Shanahan. I almost feel like Trey Lance is kind of the guy that I want in a keeper league. Like if I know I can stash him, I love him. But Jason, if they're five and two, they're not pulling the plug on Jimmy G. People seem to talk about Jimmy G like he's some terrible quarterback. Now, sure, he's he's not he's not Tom Brady, he's not Aaron Rodgers, but they are just two years removed from playing in a Super Bowl and almost winning that game with Jimmy Garoppolo. This Kyle Shanahan offense has always been good. The 49ers are going to be a good team. So if they're not losing games, they're not going to make the move to Trey Lance. The best parallel I can give, though, 
is what happened back in, I think, was it 2012 with Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick, where Alex Smith was playing well. He had that one injury. He missed basically one game. Kaepernick showed out. He was the young kid who was talented. And they said, well, we're rolling with it. That could happen this year. But unless it does, we could see Jimmy G in there for a while. Let's get to running backs. And I feel, for me, it's always been a must. I need guys who are dual threats. And with the league changing as much as it has, where there are very few bell cow running backs. Like, Jason, I think to our years when we first started playing fantasy football together, you had guys that did it all. You had the Marshall Falks of the world. You had the Sean Alexanders and the Ladanian Tomlinsons. There were so many running backs that... You didn't have to worry. They were going to get a ton of rushing yards. They were going to get a ton of receptions. And they were going to be able to do a little bit of both. Now it feels like every team, it's like two of each, two of each, two of each. Every team, with the exception of a few, find a way to have that split timeshare, if you will. So, is it a must for you when you're drafting running backs? Do they have to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield for you to draft them? It's funny you bring up uh, back when we started. You and I did our first fantasy football league back in 2003. That year, there were 13 running backs that touched the ball 300 times. Wow. Or, sorry, carry the ball 300 times. Last year, you want to guess how many there were? 300 times. I'm going to say carries. two running backs. Correct. There were two running backs last year. I know Derrick Henry is one, and I figured, all right, there probably is one more. The, the other guy's Dalvin Cook. There you go. See, I was a little concerned with the injuries with Cook if he got to that number. So, I, you know, I didn't feel right. overly confident in throwing that name out there as a guess. But doesn't it show, you know, how much the fantasy game in the NFL, for that matter, has changed between now and then? Uh, it's it's night and day. The, the settings that you have in fantasy leagues, the formats, everything about what it was when we started versus what it is now, it's a completely different game. You can't, you really can't even compare them. It's why when I look back on stats, I, I really don't, go beyond like 2011-ish because that was when we had the great QB boom. If you remember, in 2012, we had a bunch of first-round quarterbacks because we kind of didn't know any better. But that's when the the uh, the shift to passing really took hold in the NFL. And that brings us back to your question with with running backs and being dual threats. It's, it's why I'm hesitant to jump in on a guy like Derrick Henry. Last year, Derrick Henry had one of the greatest rushing seasons of all time. He rushed for 2,000 yards and 17 touchdowns. I think it's fair to say he's not going to beat that. That's as good as it gets for him. And the man still couldn't even get to 21 fantasy points per game. Meanwhile, Alvin Kamara, 25.2 fantasy points per game. This is PPR. That's 4.3 more points per game. That's a huge difference. And that's because Derrick Henry does not catch passes. So this year, and in general, you, you want to try and get running backs that that do both. It's easier said than done because you have guys like Austin Eckler who primarily catch passes, but you know those goal line carries that, Der- that Derrick Henry gets are not necessarily going to be there. So it, it, makes, it makes a guy like Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook so incredibly valuable because you know they do both with, with high volume. Okay, so we know the big dogs, the McCaffreys, the Kamaras, the Dalvin Cooks of the world, the Derrick Henrys of the world, they're going to be up there in the top half of running back drafts. Everybody's going to be taking them. Who is the guy, Jason, that you think can maybe somehow, some way, weasel his way into a position where this time next year, we're talking about this particular running back as a first-round pick? Do you have somebody in mind? I, I do, and I'm going to Denver with Javante Williams. Now, 
part of why he'll be a first round pick next year is because as we know, there is no chance Melvin Gordon remains for the Broncos beyond this year. He's 29 years old. He's a unrestricted free agent. He's gone. They, they traded up for Javante in the second round. He's going to be their guy of the future. The question for 2021 is when is he the guy now and does it even happen? And the comparison I would provide is to look at what happened last year with guys like DeAndre Swift, guys like J.K. Dobbins. They weren't really valuable to start the season. But when you got toward the second half, I started to learn the offense, get more integrated. And they were real strong players down the stretch. J.K. JK Dobbins, I think, closed out the season with a touchdown in like six or seven straight games. And how about our guy, Jonathan Taylor? Jonathan Taylor was useless at the beginning of the year. And in the second half of the year, the guy was carrying my team. Exactly. And now look where he is. I know that with the injuries to Wentz and Quentin Nelson, his ADP has dropped a bit. But before that point, he was a late first round pick. And rightfully so. The man's a tremendous talent. I don't know if Javante Williams is a tremendous talent. He's certainly not Jonathan Taylor. But the Broncos have a good offensive line. And really, the Broncos have a very complete team outside of quarterback, which could improve next year. We don't know what situation will look like beyond this year. We don't even necessarily know what it looks like this year. So Javante Williams could be that guy that is kind of like a RB3 flex play to start. And maybe by week seven, week eight, he starts to jump Melvin Gordon. Now he's the guy who's the 1A to Melvin's 1B. And eventually Javante becomes that guy that could be a league winner down the stretch. Okay, my friend, we know your loyalties are with the Dallas Cowboys, but you were very critical and very harsh on your boy Zeke Elliott, who was this household fantasy name, Obviously, did not deliver for fantasy owners in 2020. A whole lot went wrong for Zeke. No Dak, the whole deal. You have Zeke in one corner. And then in the other corner is Saquon Barkley of the New York Giants with all of his injuries and all of his questions and his boomer bust potential. I'm giving you an opportunity, Jason, to buy stock on one of the two. Zeke, Saquon, what's the move? The answer is going to be Zeke. Because of two things, the Cowboys offense and his health. Ezekiel Elliott has been remarkably durable over his career outside of his suspension. The only game he missed was last year when, as we, as we all remember, going into that week last year, when he missed that game. Everyone was asking the start sit questions and I was like, bench Zeke, bench Zeke, bench Zeke. Then he's ruled inactive. And they asked the questions. I'm like, start Pollard, start Pollard, start Pollard. And Pollard was the overall RB1 that week. I stand by my statement. I believe Tony Pollard at this point is a better running back than Ezekiel Elliott. However, the Cowboys paid Ezekiel Elliott. They are committed to him. And as long as he is there and healthy, he is going to be the guy. If you watch Hard Knocks, I didn't even realize how close him and Dak are. There's no way that he's getting any sort of benching going on. He fumbled, what, seven times last year and, and still couldn't lose his job. There's nothing that could, that could take his job away other than injury. So with the Dallas Cowboys offense being superior to the Giants, I'm going to trust Zeke more. But if I had a healthy Saquon Barkley and I knew that, which we may know in two or three weeks when we draft, he's right behind Zeke for me. Very close. Ty goes to the Cowboy. Now. Rookie wide receivers, there are a ton, whether it's Chase with Cincinnati, whether it's Devonta Smith with the Eagles, my dude Jalen Waddle with the Miami Dolphins, a lot of talent at the wide receiver position. Now, it's sometimes very difficult to figure out who the top guy is going to be. Justin Jefferson last year with the Minnesota Vikings, loved him in college, loved his game. Didn't think he was going to be the best and the most productive fantasy wide receiver out of that loaded 
talented crop from a season ago. Who is the guy this year, Jason, out of any of the rookie receivers that you like the most from a fantasy standpoint? It's it's such a strange uh, rookie class from a fantasy perspective because there are a lot of receivers I like that are really talented that aren't necessarily in a situation where they can succeed as rookies or at least early on. Uh, a guy like Rashad Bateman, if he landed in the right spot, could have easily been an instant wide receiver three in fantasy. But he landed in the Baltimore Ravens with the most run-heavy offense in the NFL. And now he just had core muscle surgery. He's out probably the first two or three weeks of the season. That basically takes him off the board uh, for any for any sort of massive upside. A uh, guy like Rondell Moore in Arizona, I like him a lot. He fits their offense really well. I just worry that Cliff Kingsbury is going to push the corpse of A.J. Green onto the field and stifle Rondell Moore's production early in his career. If you look what they did with Andy Isabella, I don't think Isabella is that good. I think if he was, he would have gotten on the field. But nevertheless, they took him with an early draft pick and just never used him. So that gives me pause with Rondell Moore. But the guy we got to talk about, it is Jamar Chase. He is the first rookie receiver being drafted in fantasy leagues, and rightfully so. He is getting pretty expensive, though, and the the Bengals do have two other talented receivers in T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, and specifically Higgins I like a lot. So I do think the uh, optimism on Chase as a rookie could be a bit high purely because there's just so much talent there. But I think Chase is a can't-miss prospect, and, and he's going to get there, if not this year, then next year. Final one. As everybody gets ready now for their draft, you're a guy that does this. You're in a boatload of leagues. You do this for a living. What is the biggest mistake that you notice amongst the amateur fantasy player? What is like the thing that will make Jason Katz squirm the most when he reads about it or he sees it in a draft? Like the, the biggest mistake that a lot of fantasy players are making. This one I learned a little bit from experience because I got too pigeonholed in this particular strategy last year. And it was very eye-opening and enlightening. And even I'm, I'm learning every year. I've been doing this 19 years now, but even I'm learning every year. When you're constructing a fantasy lineup, you have one goal. You want a team that scores as many points as possible. That means you want to take the players that will score the most points. I know everyone listening to this is going, of course, that's, that's not revolutionary information. I know that. But the reason I say that is because I find that uh, occasionally you will see fantasy managers draft players because they feel like they have to, because of a positional run or a positional need. Or it's like, I don't really like this guy, but he, you know, he, he fell a little bit and I need a running back. Don't do that. Know your league settings. The modern fantasy league is moving more toward more starting roster spots. Most of my leagues now have three wide receivers, two running backs, two flex, and a tight end. But we'll focus on the running backs and receivers. That's seven potential wide receivers and running backs. That means if I take one running back and then rattle off five receivers, that's okay. My final running back two slot, that can be my weak point. It doesn't have to be the second flex, which is or the flex, which is considered like the last position in your starting lineup. It can be any position that is your weakest spot if you are making that up elsewhere. So my best advice would be, if you don't like a player, don't take him. If you think a receiver is better than a running back, but you feel you need to take a running back just because you're worried about having a weak RB2, just take the wide receiver if you like him more. Don't get caught up or, or 
uh, or tricked into taking players that you don't think are that good just because you feel like you have to. That's our pal, Jason Katz. Check him out, Fantasy Pros. Jason, where can they follow you on Twitter, by the way? Uh, please follow me on Twitter at JasonKatz13. I am always down to help out anyone that, uh, that messages Draft me, that tweets at me. And get ready. Buckle up, pal. couple weeks from now, you'll be getting peppered by our, you know, ringer audience here. Start sit, all that good stuff weekly. So uh, be ready Cats to rock and roll, sucker. Yep. And also, I just joined up with uh, ProFootballNetwork.com, so you can check out some of my work the there as well. The last couple there of years. you go. He's got many gigs. He's Thinking a man of many talents, Lance. and he's getting Thinking ready about for his fantasy drafts. A lot more I like to do. waiting on a cover right back. That's usually the personal preference, but I'm done taking guys who can't run because it is such a monumental step behind the eight ball. Not having a running quarterback in fantasy football. It's very, very tough to handle. If you want to win your league, you need a quarterback who can move around a little bit. Now, Jeff Money got involved with a family play. And speaking of family plays, how about the Colorado Rockies on St. Rocco's Day? Whoever called in on Sunday night and provided us that little nugget, thank you very much. You put a couple extra bucks in my pocket, and we will now forever play the Colorado Rockies on St. Rocco's Day. So I forget who our caller was. Thank you. I love you. Job well done. Job well done. Jeff Money, you had the Yankees with me. I hope you put them in a nightcap. What's on your docket for Wednesday? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper pick. This is going to be for Wednesday the 18th. I got two plays here. First play, money play. I'm going to take the Angels minus the 150 over the Tigers. It'll be Otami versus Stubo. Otami is 3-0. With a 1.89 ERA his last three outings versus Stu is two and one with a 2.16 ERA his last three outings. So game number one, we're going to take the Angels minus the 150. Game number two, I'm going to go with the Red Sox plus the 105 over the Yankees. It'd be Pavetta versus Henley. Pavetta five and three with a 3.09 ERA on the road. Henley is, uh, what is he, uh, two, uh, four and four with a 5.84 ERA at home. So we'll go with the Red Sox. All right. JJ again, two plays, money play, Angels minus the 150, and we'll go with the Red Sox plus the 105. All right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Jeff Money rocking with the Red Sox. I mean, listen, it's tough to talk you out of that. Tough to sweep. Andrew Heaney stinks. I hope you're dead wrong on that one, pal. I really do. I hope you're dead wrong. I'd be careful with the Angels and the Tigers. The Tigers are playing good ball, and I think you're getting a little bit of a fishy sucker line there with Shohei Otani only being minus 140. 130 or 140, depending on where you get it. I actually like the Tigers there. So I'm going to go heads up with you, Tigers and Angels, and I'll be rooting like crazy for the Yankees. So I hope you cash in on Thursday's show, Jeff Money. I wish you nothing but the best, but not for Wednesday's action. Fun show, lively show. The hospitality at Yankee Stadium was top notch. Uh, I'm sure we'll be doing a bunch more of these, and the green rooms are great. And if the Yankees win... I might be giddy. I might hop on. You got to follow me on Green Room, Twitter, John underscore Jastramski, and you will find out on Thursday, Friday show. Probably will drop Friday now that I'm thinking about it because Mets play super late. Yankees play at night. So we'll probably have a Friday morning pod. The great Damian Woody, one of the biggest Islander fans on the planet. And I think he's awesome doing all the NFL stuff. He's over at ESPN. He's going to make his New York, New York debut. A lot of debuts this week. Certainly don't hate that. And I hope Bill from Los Angeles is doing okay, by the way. Should we, should we check in on Bill from Los Angeles? Should we make sure everything's all right? 
Should I call him before he goes Betty Bye? Oh, baby. Yeah, I'm a little extra giddy. Not going to lie. Fellas, outstanding job. We are back Thursday night, Friday morning. But who knows? There might be a surprise green room. You never know. JJ, signing off. Be good, everybody. <laughs>